Hey, welcome to the Default Alive podcast. I'm Corey. And I'm Chris. And this is our audio documentary of our journeys building profitable internet businesses. And so if this is your first time listening, you can learn more about us and get up to speed by starting at episode number one. But if you're a regular, welcome back. Second week back. Uh, how are things going? Uh, oh, man. I am just permanently tired all the time now <laughs> going through that phase yeah yeah I, we, we were like, just at a at a friend's birthday party and um she's pregnant due in july and they have two young kids under the age of four i want to say one is like a year and a half the other one's three or four and um so we were talking about that parent life and uh, daycare <laughs> and being tired and all that stuff so uh it's it's uh, I, I can sympathize a little bit from that experience. Yeah. It's just, it's like, I feel like everything is worse when you're not getting sleep. Like I'm still sick, oh, yeah. uh, you know, two weeks later, like my immune system's not mm. working and, uh, you know, my brain isn't functioning as well and, <laughs> and all of that. So, uh, trying to hang in there, but yeah. Yeah, man, that's a, that's a, horrible combo when it's like no sleep i mean kid <laughs> and <laughs> and being sick it's just like oof it's like the vicious cycle i don't know how you break that you just have to one of those things has to like stop for the rest of them to, <laughs> to get better yeah well yeah we're, tr- we're trying some different strategies as far as uh sleeping and shifts and all of that so we're trying to figure it out but mm. just uh just something you have to go through just one of those things. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've been trying to be more intentional myself cause I have no excuse for not getting <laughs> enough sleep or getting bad sleep. Uh, but trying to be more intentional. I slept in both days on the weekend, uh, by a lot and tried to catch up on some sleep and feeling pretty good today. Uh, we'll also be doing a little long weekend this weekend, going up to Lake Tahoe with some friends. And so, uh, <clears throat> it's kind of a weird, excuse me. You're gonna make me jealous talking about all the sleep you're getting. So <laughs> careful, I might get a little upset. I know, I know. I I have no excuse, honestly. But um, try to sleep in a little bit. Saturday, Sunday, feeling better today. Going the weekend, you know, going the road trip this weekend. But now I'm in that same kind of like. It's kind of weird because I only have three days this week now to sort of get all the work I wanted to done. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I know I'm going to be kind of burning the candle on both ends, all three of these days. And then, you know, we'll see what it's like on the weekend, but it'll probably be like, go, go, go still try to make the most of our time up there. And, um, man, sleep it really is. So like whenever I'm just like feeling horrible, crappy, it takes me a while to always like come back to it. And I'm like, wait, how much sleep have I been getting? I'm like, oh. <laughs> now it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I got to give a shout out to uh, Noah Bragg, who uh, I was listening to. He did a, the Nathan Latka podcast. He did an interview oh. with him. Yeah. Uh, and Nathan, at the end, always asks like the same five questions. And one of them is, how much sleep are you getting? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know Noah has two kids. I'm not sure exactly how old, but uh, he said eight hours a night. So it gave me hope that <laughs> eventually I'm going to get there. <laughs> Man, he just sell a course on how he does that. That's crazy. <laughs> I know. It's like, wow, I feel like it's, a, it is possible. 
Right. Yeah. There, there's hope at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. It's interesting. There's a whole, um, I don't know if it's maybe just like this whole kind of next wave of like bootstrappers, indie hackers, but I feel like there's a whole bunch of people right now who have young kids. Uh, Noah, I know I was just listening to, uh, the new episode of the new mega maker podcast with Justin and, uh, and Joshua Anderton. And, um, and I think Josh also has maybe three young kids. And, uh, so, you know, he was talking about that and Justin was talking about how, when he was in his late twenties, he mm. had a bunch of young kids and he was just like, man, that was like the worst time of my, I don't, I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> I think for him, but it sounded like he was saying that was like the worst time of his life, basically, where he was like stressed, no money, you know, a bunch of young kids, like wasn't doing what he wanted to do. And, uh, that's a hard, hard combo, especially with kids in the mix. Yeah. I have now just insane respect for anyone who, uh, you know, starts and builds a business while having small children or babies or because I was lucky enough to start jet boost, um, before I even got married. So I, I had a little time where I was just doing the, you know, work whenever I wanted and work late and like you said, skip sleep. So, uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine it would be really hard to, to do that now. So insane respect for anyone that does. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause I mean, it's like, if you, if you're single and, or just like don't have kids and have some like a flexible schedule, you could kind of, you could go crazy for a couple of weeks, a couple of months of just like working mm -hmm. erratic hours and long hours. And like, then like having some days where you just like sleep all day and sort of, you know, burn the candle at both ends, knowing that like, there's nothing else that you really need to do or like no other like big obligation. But once you have kids, then it's like you have an alarm clock, you have like, you know, way more like things to pay attention to and you can't just go and like, you literally can't go work as much as you want to or burn the candle at both ends. Cause you'll be, you have to do those other things or other obligations. Right. Yeah, totally. Anyway, well, who yeah. am I to say I'm still, uh, yeah, I'm not, I have no skin in that game, so I can't speak from experience. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. My, my last week was a, bit, a little bit interesting. I have a couple of updates and then a couple of ideas. I just want to run by you, um, to the updates. So this last week I opened up enrollment for, uh, the courses, refactoring growth and mental models for marketing and it kind of flopped. Um, pretty disappointing to be honest. This is the whole hmm. So the downside of building on public and like sharing everything transparently is you had to share the losses too, <laughs> the things that are not the wins. And, um, I, I sort of, I don't know if I expected, but I had a feeling that it might go this way, but I didn't do like any promotion on social media, on Twitter. Really? Uh, I only is that? sort of promote it through the email list. Cause I wanted to see just what the effect was. Cause I, I have been, and it's a little bit, it's pretty difficult to like attribute it to, email versus Twitter. And I wanted to see just like what the difference was and if that made a difference. And so I really only promoted it through the email list this, this time. And for whatever reason, maybe it was, the list is a little bit stagnant. Maybe it's cause I've been sending the same emails, kind of the same sequence, every launch or enrollment, people are tired of it. Maybe there's some other factor I don't know about. Um, but I hardly got any sales and, uh, I haven't looked at, actually, I should go look at the metrics and convert it to see like what the open and click rates were, but I think I counted, I got four sales, which 
still is not nothing, you know, it's over a thousand dollars in revenue, but, mm-hmm. um, nowhere close to, you know, the four grand just a couple months ago, 15 grand a couple months before that, another 15 mm-hmm. grand before a couple months before that. I think some of it has to do with the kind of open rates as well. Um, yeah, actually these have much lower open rate and much lower click through rate too as well. So my suspicion is that it's not just that it was email and like there was no Twitter, but also that that list is a little bit tired of, um, hearing about course enrollment (laughs) stuff. And, um, so either need to like beef that up and or switch models. But anyways, that was sort of a, you know, an update on that. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, is is the other option just to try to grow like more new people on the email list? Yeah. I don't really know what that looks like. Right. Because I also, I didn't send it to like the broader swipe files email list. I only sent it to people who had originally opted in to receive updates on refactoring growth, mental models for marketing. Um, and the idea of trying to grow that list in particular, like just that segment of the list doesn't really excite me all that much. I think that would be mm-hmm. pretty difficult and kind of, you know, pull, pushing a boulder uphill a little bit. Um, and really, especially like isolating it, only growing that part. Like I don't reap the benefits of a lot of the, a lot of the other parts of swipe files. And that's ultimately what I, I want to, what I want to do. The good news is that the all access pass all access membership has been selling pretty well. And so one of the ideas has me thinking of is I've sort of been noodling on this idea of like, well, what if I just bundle everything under one membership or just kind of get rid of like the course enrollment periods altogether and really just focus in on the, the all access membership. And after, after this week, that's kind of the, the direction I'm, I'm going towards is at the very least moving towards like favoring the all access membership um, if not sort of removing the two different tiers and creating a hybrid where basically you enroll in the membership and then you get the courses, whether that's at the same price or a slightly higher price, I'm not sure. Um, mm. but I'm thinking that that's kind of the direction I want to go in. Uh, it's a little bit under this theme of like, I think that's more of what I want to do anyways. Cause that, that beefs up like the, the value of the membership, so it's not super reliant on just the community. Um, and it also gets me closer to my 1,000 true true fans goal. Um, of course, everything's hindsight and, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But, you know, there's been a part of me that's, like, justifying the core sales. as like, well, it's nice because it, like, builds runway. And, and that has been super, super true. Like, that's the only reason why I have the bank balance that I do right now. But at the same time, I think I might have sacrificed some... ARR for that bank balance right now, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it also seems like the course sales may have been lower this time because you do have the all access pass. So like if I'm someone who wanted access to the courses and I didn't want to wait for the enrollment, I could just sign up for the all access pass, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. If if they knew about it. I don't I have I mean I have in the past mentioned the all access membership to that list in previous enrollment periods. I didn't really mention it this time for that reason. Also trying to test, uh, mm-hmm. but that could also be a factor for sure. It's like someone, you know, the enrollment period is a little bit manufactured, which I don't feel great about. 
I think it's more, it's not really for me. It's not like a scam. I think it's more just like to get people to take action because otherwise they mm-hmm. wouldn't. Right. Um, but maybe I've sort of found the end of that road and, uh, I've squeezed the last of that lemon. Yeah. I don't know. It, it honestly doesn't sound like that much of a loss for me because you were testing these few different things and, uh, you know, you learned a lot from that, from those tests. Yeah. Yeah. Cause looking at it now, I think, um, the enrollment periods really help when that's like the thing on your list is like, you're, you're sending regularly to your newsletter. And then that's like the big call to action that comes around, you know, once a quarter, once a year, twice a year, whatever it is. Um, but because it's like this sliver of the whole list and it's just this really targeted kind of older list now that I don't send to very regularly at all, then I feel like it's kind of a mismatch. Like I either need to send it to everyone and have that be like one of the big things, which would be competing with what I really want, which is Swipe House members and all access members. Uh, so I can't really do that. Or I just need to, you know, kind of scrap it altogether and, you know, change it a little bit, maybe not scrap it, but, you know, pivot a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So that's kind of direction I'm leaning in now. Uh, another, another update for you is, um, so I had a really good conversation with, uh, this guy, Ben Shapiro, who is the host of the MarTech podcast, um, recently added to the HubSpot podcast network, which is really interesting. It's the same as like my first million. And I think there's also entrepreneur on fire and HubSpot mm. is really diving into investing in more media, which makes sense given their acquisition of the hustle. And, uh, I think the podcast network is actually pretty interesting, but he was sharing some numbers. We had a really good conversation about podcasts and monetization and stuff. And it kind of fired me up to tr- really try to grow everything as marketing and try some new yeah. things. Um, and so as of last week, I just sort of, like sort of on a whim after our conversation went out and did some research on some of his recommendations and some other ideas, uh, on podcast advertising to try to boost the subscriber base. And so I ponied up about two grand, a little bit over two grand and going to be running some ads on a couple different podcast players like, uh, overcast, uh, podcast addicts, addicts, um, pod bay and pod news. And the latter actually aren't even apps like they're, they're websites and a newsletter, but they're sort of a similar idea targeted towards people who would be listeners. And, um, so <laughs> kind of a, an interesting bet. I figured like, since I'm a marketer and like it's why I felt about marketing, like even if the, like nothing comes out of it, it'll be an interesting piece of content that will maybe lead to some members and there'll be some <laughs> positive ROI I can <laughs> point back to, but, uh, that'll be an interesting experiment for over the next couple of months. Yeah. That's actually super exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I mean, basically the whole idea is if I can, if I can grow the subscriber base of everything as marketing one, that sort of indirectly leads to more swipe files members, uh, as far as I can tell, or at least like in theory. Um, but two, it makes it a more monetizable podcast in other ways through sponsors, affiliates, etc. Uh, so even though it feel, I mean, again, who knows what will come out of it, but the idea is if I can pour money in, I can, I think there is like a way to get the money back. So it's not just, you know, lighting two grand on fire. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> yeah. 
How does the HubSpot network, how does that work? Yeah, so it's a little bit ambiguous. I think they're still kind of working through that a little bit. But there's an application form and process where they consider you, they look at your, you know, uh, basically your reach, your numbers, uh, the fit as well. Um, and, uh, and then I think there's just like an invite. Um, I think there's also some kind of negotiation possibly around sponsorship, although I'm not sure if that's like a part of it. I think for a larger podcast, obviously they kind of need to buy out some of the sponsor spots. So I think Ben was telling me that HubSpot bought basically like half of his ad inventory, um, which is pretty nice. Mm -hmm. uh, and for his scale, like that's, that's a really large chunk of money and mm. it's great for him. Um, but I don't know if that's like default across the board or if there's like standard rates or anything, it might just be like a per podcast kind of basis. Okay. But so if you get accepted, it doesn't automatically mean they're paying you anything. It's just like the, uh, you get to be in their network, you get their, uh, basically their reach. Yeah. I don't know. I actually, I haven't heard yeah. from them. I would love to know that information. That's just kind of like my guess, my assumption based on what I heard from, from Ben, um, for the cross promotion stuff alone, I think that it's probably yeah. worth it. Like it's, I mean, it's only like a, a net benefit if you're part of a, net, a network versus not being part mm -hmm. of a network. But if they, you know, if they also want to buy out some ad spots, then that's also great. You, you've got to go get some of their competitors as, uh, advertisers. Right. <laughs> Built some levers for myself. Yeah. Not exactly. a terrible idea. Yeah. Uh, not too bad. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. I, I've applied. I think that they obviously have the, the, uh, they have, they have the leverage in the relationship and they sort of, they can be picky and choosy. And so, um, you know, I'll try to pitch myself the best eventually. I might just wait to hear back. I'm sure they have like hundreds of applications to go through. Um, so we'll see, but, uh, the advertising thing is sort of in light of that as well as, yeah, I've got some the game podcast is growing, you know, it'd be great to have another piece of momentum. Yeah. You gotta wait till after your, uh, Seth Godin episode. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Coming up actually, um, I should be able to schedule with him pretty soon. Cause I think I'm on, wow. I'm in like the thirties as of recording. And so maybe around july august ish is when i can record with seth so by that time he might work out that's crazy yeah yeah so we'll see uh one other thread an idea i wanted to, to throw by you was um uh this is sort of work in progress thinking out loud a little bit but i think i kind of have my mindset is i think i'm going to be moving away from workshops and towards virtual summits instead um the reason being not a ton of people join live, uh, which is totally fine. Like that was again, an experiment, a test to see if a lot of people would find value in joining live. Um, but two, I think it might be not only easier for me to coordinate because I can have people pre-record their talk instead of doing it live. And then that's basically one day I need to carve out instead of uh, one day a month or one day every two months, instead of one day a week, I need to carve out. Um, and then, too, I think it might be a more marketable event. Um, just like objectively speaking, given that it's a summit and it's all together and sort of something that people might feel more inclined to share. And I could even put some advertising dollars behind to kind of boost. Whereas the workshops is a more ongoing series that is maybe a little seen as a little bit more casual. 
Mm. Uh, so anyways, that, that's what I'm thinking of. I haven't pulled the trigger. I think that's what I'm leaning towards. Um, but sort of an idea I want to throw by you and see what you thought. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm not totally understanding what the virtual summit is. Would it oh, be like, yeah. yeah. So the idea would be basically instead of like weekly workshops, it would be, um, <clears throat> like a monthly, uh, probably every like six to eight weeks have like a summit, which would be a, a combination of talks on a single day. So it'd be like, instead of like the SEO series where I have like eight weeks of workshops, kind of like, um, each individual, then it would be like the swipe files, SEO summit, and then it'd be eight talks all in one day, um, all pre-recorded at the same time. And then like the replays would be available for members afterwards. Hmm. And so you would play the recordings or people would just watch the recordings on their own, or would there be like some sort of live component as well? Yeah. Lean towards live. Um, mm -hmm. I think that, yeah, I'm still trying to work through the details of like how it would work, but I think the idea would be, it'd be either delivered live and the recordings would be available for, for members. So if you didn't attend live then basically become a member or start a trial, right. To watch it for free. Um, as a member or pre-record and then have them available for a day or two days or three days. And then the recordings go into the swipe files archive, uh, and are available that way. Um, so either, or the idea is basically try to get people to join live carve out, you know, a couple of hours to watch the talks that they want to. And then, um, and then the rest sort of archived after that. And then the next summit would be promoted and sort of take that place. Okay. Yeah. I guess I'm not totally understanding the live piece of it. Like, would there be like Q and a afterwards or oh, right. like, why would I attend Probably. live? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. There definitely could be a, a lot or like a Q and a component if it was actually done live. Uh, otherwise I think that the, the real benefit is just having like a, a bunch of talks all on one theme that are just available for a limited amount of time. So like whether it's like live or not, it's just, this is available for free for a limited amount of time, mm. whether that's watched live or it's pre-recorded, but available for a day or two, for example, um, then you would obviously want to tune in before it's gone. Essentially. I um, got gotcha. These are very half-baked thoughts. No, that makes more sense. Now, now I understand it's, uh, it's a channel for inbound. So someone who hasn't joined swipe files yet can yeah. sort of get a taste totally. of the type of content. Yeah. Yeah. I like that actually. And then anyone who's a member, you know, they would automatically get the replays and they could view them at any time as opposed to having to tune in live, you know, sort of like can't make it or not relevant for right now. They want to reference it later. The news, there was a talk on it, which it's like they're searching through their new member. Now there's all these talks that are available from sort of in industry experts broken up by different themes or kind of categories. So that's the idea. Um, I don't know. Still have it to actually, take it, it reminds me of what you first did with swipe files where you would make the latest swipe file available for free. And then the whole right. archive was, uh, you had to be a member for. 
That's true, actually. Hmm. I feel like that worked pretty well. Yeah, it did. People did like that. It was a pretty easy ask because there's something for people who just want to get it for free. And there's also a big benefit for people who, uh, who don't really want to access it anytime or re re, um, re access it. Uh, yeah, that's true. And that wasn't even time limited. That was the latest one was always available. Right. 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 So Mm -hmm. yeah, I like the idea of, you know, just a day or two having it available. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That could be the way to go. I'm not really sure the way to do that. It's like kind of like, I don't know, details. There's probably a bazillion different ways to do it. I know that's possible. It's just like nuances between them and different platforms and whatever, how I could pull it off, whether I want to do it through like an out of the box platform, like, I don't know, like a webinar software or hop in or something, or if I want to kind of do it on my own within Webflow. <laughs> I'm not sure. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that that might be sort of what I want to do. So I think I found myself a little bit burned out on, um, find myself on the, the content treadmill a little bit and like, okay, I need to find like what's sustainable, actually optimized for what I like, what I want to do instead of just like what I think is a good idea and trying to do like more and more and more, you know, have this be a little bit more minimalistic, less time commitment, a little bit more efficient on the process side of things. So I don't know just what going, yeah. what's going on through my brain. Do you find yourself gravitating towards one type of content, whether it's a medium like podcasting or writing or a specific, I don't know, vertical or something. I really love podcasting. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is, but I just, I always really enjoy it and always look forward to it. Uh, I like Twitter threads. I was actually telling someone I was interviewing today for everything's marketing that, um, I found myself like writing a tweet thread is a lot easier. And like, it's a more like frictionless experience to like actually write than it is like sitting down, like to write a blog post Mm. for whatever reason. I don't know. It's just easier. Um, and so I think I like that. I mean, I like Twitter a lot. (laughs) It's obviously right. It's kind of, um, not a surprise there. Uh, and I do really like presenting. I like teaching, which is why I think I want to invest more into courses as well. I do need to do an update on nuts and for marketing and refactoring growth. I'd also like to create, you know, one or two other courses to kind of like have, and that's kind of also what I'm thinking for like bundling everything together is like, Hey, you can get four courses and the community and you know, the, the brain, um, and the teardowns all together for one price instead of like have them be a little bit separate or I don't know, trying to do like really sweeten the pot, you know, like make it a, a no brainer basically. Um, and have that be an accelerator to get into the thousand true fans. But those are definitely the ones that I gravitate the most to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I think we've talked about it before. Like you are doing a lot and a lot of different things. And I think at some point, you know, obviously you're, you're just experimenting and seeing what works and what doesn't work, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, I think you're starting to turn that corner where it makes sense to double down on things. Like you said, maybe it's the podcast, maybe it's, uh, you know, again, trying like the virtual summits or whatever it is, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think figuring out what energizes you will 
mm-hmm. help for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah. Sun out the workshops are th- something that energizes me a ton. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of them. I think as a consumer, I always like popping in something live, but I also, I also know that like putting them on is sort of a, it's, it's actually, I mean, of course it's not a ton of work for me, but sitting in, in on it live scheduling week to week, that is sort of like a, a drag a little bit. If I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it for me. What about you? Uh, what about me? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, uh, not, not a ton to update on my side. Uh, last week I was pretty heads down actually, uh, doing product development for what felt like the first time in quite a while. Uh, so working on a very large, uh, I would say internal infrastructure type update, uh, which if everything goes well, will not at all be customer facing. If things go horribly wrong, then, uh, <laughs> then it will right. be extremely customer facing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Have I, have I mentioned this before? I, I can't remember, but I, oh, I can't remember if it was on our podcast last week or on our chat okay. after the podcast last week. So, well, yeah, maybe I'm just re- reiterating what I said last week, but, um, yeah, moving JetBoost towards, um, Right now, any changes we make go live to every single customer's website. Uh, and so working on building this like uh, internal versioning system. So if somebody mm. sets up JetBoost today, uh, you know they don't make any changes for the next six months, then whatever version of JetBoost they added today will continue running on their site because, you know, it just locks it in as like, it's mm. running fine with no issues. Uh, the, my number one philosophy since day one has been don't break customer sites. And <laughs> it was a lot easier not to break customer sites when there were only 10 customers, uh, or even a hundred, uh, because you could go check a lot of them and, you know, make sure any updates we pushed out were, were fine. Um, but can't do that anymore. And, and people are using the product in so many different ways that, uh, there, there is some risk with each release, each new booster, each update. Uh, and while so far it's been okay, I I've known for a while it's reaching the point where at some point, if, if we continue down this path, like something's going to go wrong, uh, we're mm-hmm. going to miss something and, uh, and affect a lot of, a lot of sites. So, um, yeah, really excited to, to get this update out. Uh, the, the other piece of it, and again, I'm, <laughs> I'm following just a lot of like, from what I've seen, how Webflow works. Uh, mm. so interesting. Yeah. Because, uh, a lot of Webflow customers came from WordPress. Uh, they, do not miss the days of having to update their WordPress installation or update their plugin version numbers or have things break when they do updates. Uh, and so what Webflow does, uh, and again, this is my sort of black box understanding is, uh, for the most part, when you publish your Webflow site, like you get that version of Webflow, 
uh, kind of like I just described. And only if you go back in and publish changes um, do you get put on the latest version, unless I'm sure there's like bug fixes and stuff that automatically gets rolled out. Um, hmm. And so that's what we're going to do with JetBoost is if you go in and you start making changes to your JetBoost setup, then it will bump you to the latest version. So you get all the new features. And oh, all I that. see. Um, yeah. But you don't have to go as a user and like manage, okay, now I want to upgrade to the latest version um, because nobody wants to do that. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yes. I totally see that. I never really thought about internal versions, I guess. Of course I know about you know, external versions of software. And there's all sorts of different iterations of that between like, you know, you had Basecamp one, two, three, and four. And then, then there's like, you know, dev stuff like rails three, four or five. And I think there's six now. Right. And then of course with like SAS, you see all sorts of change log updates and stuff, but I never thought about internal versions and what customers use and sort of how you manage that but it seems it's, it's essentially like a, a scaling solution ish. We are kind of like breaking up customers into segments and then, uh, mm -hmm. updating as needed if I'm understanding correctly. Exactly. And normally with web software, you don't really have to worry about versioning because you control the server and then you control the front end, uh, you know, like the, the web application. Right. But with something like JetBoost, where there's this script that's running on other websites, mm. uh, you know, so for if you're in the JetBoost application, you're using the JetBoost front end and the JetBoost server, like we don't have to worry about versioning there. But with the code that's running on the external sites, uh, that's where the versioning yeah. will help a lot. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I'm excited because it should allow us to move faster going forward. Um, I know when I worked on the, all the stuff for the pagination booster, it was starting to get a little bit hairy as far as, uh, you know, how does the pagination interact with search? How does it interact with filters, uh, favoriting all, all the different plugins that are available. And I had to do a lot of regression testing and bug fixing and, um, it was kind of like, okay, this is the last time we'll be able to do this before, uh, getting this versioning system in place. So, hmm. uh, pretty close there. And, uh, I'm, I'm excited because I think the, the next few weeks will probably be pretty product focused for me, uh, trying to get a new booster out. So, um, yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Hey, any, any gains you can get on productivity, whether it's yourself or for the team, yeah. this feels like a huge win and, uh, it's something you won't ever regret. So definitely progress. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, well, anything else top of mind or do we need to cover that we're forgetting? Uh, no, I only had sort of one, I don't know, topic slash observation. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I was doing some uh, bookkeeping, just catching up on things. And I've, uh, in the last couple of months, I've gone on a bit of a SAS shopping spree. Uh, just, just adding a, a lot of different products to the JetBoost stack. I mean, basically now anything where I'm like, Oh, this will save me an hour or two. I'll just purchase it. Mm, um, yeah. 
we added, uh, I've always used sketch in the past, but, uh, Noah, uh, uses Figma because he's, uh, modern. <laughs> and, uh, so he's like, Hey, can we add Figma? I'm like, sure. No problem. Uh, you know, it's two users, 30 bucks a month. No big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I added Ahrefs recently, which, you know, I previously mm-hmm. was like, Oh my God, Ahrefs is the most expensive SaaS software out there. $99 a month for the, the right. light plan. Uh, and so anyways, I, I was going through all the accounting and, uh, I was somewhat curious to see, you know, how far the expenses have run up and it made me realize like SAS is so cheap. Uh, and I realized that because like, once you start paying people, uh, mm. you, oh, you yeah. see just like of the total expenses now, all the software that runs JetBoost that, that we have for JetBoost is like a fraction of the cost for, uh, you know, a few part-time contractors. Mm -hmm. Uh, and now I just, I feel like every SaaS is just totally (laughs) underpriced now. It's just, it's so much (laughs) cheaper than hiring people. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've always felt that way. I think there's, there's an interesting like power law in, um, and like what people pay for in their SaaS, because this was my experience, uh, well, yeah, both the companies I used, used to work for, Cordial and Metrics, where there was like one or two that would take up like the vast majority of the sort of like SaaS, you know, app spend. And then all the rest wouldn't even amount to like the amount of those one or two they would take up the majority. And, um, and so like in that sense, a hundred percent, like it's super, super cheap comparatively. Um, but then you, you know, if you like take them all together, it might still look like a big chunk. I don't know. It doesn't have to be the case for everyone. So for, for cordial, I mean, I think our, our largest expense was Salesforce and, uh, you know, not counting like dev tools, which I don't even know. I didn't have an insight into those, but Salesforce, we paid, I don't know, something stupid, like 140 grand a year or something like that. And, um, in that case, you know, it starts to look a little bit expensive, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, a f- that's a, a full-time developer, um, for a lot of people and at, at bare metrics, I think that the most expensive one that we used was, well, th- they're both were, um, like dev kind of like it was part of like the tech stack. So I don't know if you really count that or not. I don't know how that factors into yours, but you know, there was somewhere in the range of like one of them, I, I I forget the name of it, but it was something around five to $9,000 a month, I want to say. But then again, all the rest of them were like 50 bucks a month, a hundred bucks a month, $300 a month, like not even close to any of the other ones. Um, and, uh, I agree. I have, I have to think about that all the time. I'm like, if I'm thinking through like SAS pricing, if, if, if it's for a business, like people are so cheap and, um, it makes me mad. <laughs> Just like a hundred bucks, you know, like, geez, Louise, dude, it's, if you're not at like a, a tiny early stage startup, which even then I'm like, okay, well just cause you have no revenue doesn't mean it's not paying worth paying for. Like the goal obviously is for your revenue to grow. And so you need this thing to achieve that. I don't know. I'm ranting. <laughs> yeah. No. And I've seen too, uh, w- what you mentioned with like one or two SAS applications dominating the the cost uh i think for JetBoost, heroku which is what uh most most of our hosting costs are through um that's about 50 percent 
of the SaaS costs. And then, yeah, mm. everything else is like, you know, almost nothing. Yeah. I think the, the real, like the real comparison and alternative is, uh, it's either productivity gains or money you'd have to spend on, on people. And so for a lot of like the, the dev like product stuff, I feel like it's like, Oh, you know, we could host it with Heroku or we could like do this other sort of like DIY route and right. like, sure you might like save some, but then like you have to like pay someone else to like do all those things. <laughs> like, are you really saving money at the end of the day? I don't, I don't know. Right. Like, do the math. Probably not. Um, or if there, if there was nothing else, like you don't technically need the SAS, but it saves some people some time. It's like, cool. Do you want to like do all the things on your roadmap this year or not? Like, <laughs> or do you want to like hit your numbers this year or not? Like you have to like help people get every extra hour they can in, in saved time, uh, if nothing else. And so I feel like it's, it's like almost always worth it for SAS, no matter what. Yeah, totally. It's also why I think these tools coming out, like, I mean, Airtable is obviously a big one, uh, Reform, where they, they're like so cheap as SaaS applications, but they allow someone uh, to really, they serve so many different use cases. And it's just like, now we have this tool and we can, you know, we don't have to go hire developers to build this, uh, you know, internal tracking tool that we need or whatever it might be. Hmm. Uh, it's, I don't know. It's just crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. It really is nuts. I mean, we're, we're, I mean, we're, I guess we haven't reached the peak yet, but we're living in peak SAS right now. As it feels like, it's just like there's so, <laughs> there's more tools and like more product, productivity gains to be made than ever before. Yeah. And I think with that and, and with no code, there is a lot more software being created, which then needs more SaaS applications serving that software. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, if anything, it's the, the entire market is probably only growing. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, even for people like me who I don't run a SaaS business, I'm a creator and it's a membership site and it's like fairly, you know, uh, simple needs. I think, you know, I'm actually probably switching a few things around and I try not to be like too indulgent with all the things that I subscribe to. Um, but I think I probably end up paying somewhere between two to 4,000 a year in SAS. I want to say, um, might even be 5,000 at like, uh, the high end. And, uh, I will gladly pay that because again, that like, one, it makes my business run and tick and like, I don't even think right. about all the things that I'm not doing now because of those software. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad to pay it because I'm, I'm a business. Well, Swipe House is a business and, uh, especially if I get a productivity gain, I, I'm doing it just for like the peace of mind, <laughs> just to, like feel like I'm making progress, you know, check the box. Uh, I, I, I'm probably like the least price sensitive like prosumer <laughs> there is. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my, my one last thought on this topic, because, uh, you mentioned productivity gains. I actually feel really bad sometimes, uh, 
so there's this software that I use. It's called Cold Turkey Blocker. And it's like uh, <laughs> basically you can set it up on your, your laptop to block websites and whatnot and schedule. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've, been, I've had it for, I don't know, maybe four years now. I think it was a one-time $25 fee. Mm. And the productivity gains that I get from basically having <laughs> my work hours blocked off, like no you know, no hacker news, no, uh, Twitter's limited and like all these different things. Like, I'm like this person, I probably owe, I probably owe this company like thousands of dollars of, of <laughs> revenue generated. Uh, right. and I spent $25 on this software. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Lifetime SaaS pricing is, is a trip. That's where, yeah. um, that's where, yeah, that's subscriptions for the win. I also feel bad a little. I mean, it's funny because sometimes I'm like, oh, if only I could only pay for this once. But then I'm like, mm, I don't know if I'd really actually like that because I would feel bad one and two. <laughs> I feel like I want, I want this business to stay like to keep making progress and like stay in business and like keep getting better. And I don't really know how you do that with lifetime unless it's like a one time thing and to a limited set of users, which I assume we probably were. Uh, but, you know, it's trade offs. Yeah, totally. Well, you just gave him a free shout out. So now you can uh, <laughs> feel better about it. There we go. Sleep better at night. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, there was one more thought on it. Is I, uh, when I first wrote about how, oh, so I wrote that blog post for Webflow about how I built him or uh, Swipe Files. And um, I talked about the tech stack and I talked about the costs. And I think at, when I first launched it, I worked out the numbers and it was, I think it came out to $218 a month. And, um, you know, Webflow made a big deal out of it. They emailed it out to their whole list. It got posted to Reddit and a few times or a few different subreddits, uh, to Twitter, a few different places. I got a whole bunch of, um, I still get emails and comments and, you know, threads somewhere about like $218. Like you could do this for free with X, Y, and Z. Or like, (laughs) why is it so much? Why is it so expensive? And I always have to say the same thing, which is like, it's, it's not expensive. Like $218 is a steal. Like the, it's crazy how cheap <laughs> this is, especially in the thing I always tell them is it's basically like a, a fixed cost at this point because, um, there's very little like skilled pricing. And so whether I'm doing a million dollars a year or a thousand dollars a year, I'm going to be paying somewhere between, you know, at that time it was 218 and $500. Like it's a, it's a nonlinear relationship at all. And there's definitely like a ceiling that gets met. And so I'll gladly pay $218 if it means that I only ever have to pay $500 a month. Um, you know, because I'm never going to feel bad about the, you know, hundreds of dollars that I might've saved by doing things a completely wacky way just to do it for free or cheaper, yep. marginally cheaper. Right. Yeah, that's the key that it's like basically fixed costs and revenue can grow as, you know, high as you can, high as you can grow it. Yeah. It's pretty nice. <laughs> that's the magic. That's the dream. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, shall we wrap it? Yeah. Cool. Well, we'll have all the mentions, uh, highlights, shout outs. What was that one called? Cold Turkey Blocker? Yeah, we'll have to include that. We'll have that in the show notes as well. And I will see you in the next one.